Have you ever allowed your imagination to run wild about the world of work? To wonder what would happen if we tore up all the rules and started again? Welcome to What If, a podcast from the CIPD's work magazine that dares to ask the previously unthinkable. I'm Katie Jacobs from the CIPD, and in this episode, I'm looking at leadership, in particular, the notion of charisma and how it became so inextricably linked to our idea of what a leader looks like, despite its well-known dark side. What if, I'll be asking, we fell out of love with charismatic leaders? Ever since the financial crash of 2008, there has been an increasing unease around the traditional brand of authoritarian, macho and, dare we say it, arrogant leadership. The Me Too movement and high-profile corporate collapses, such as the recent downfall of WeWork, have added fuel to the fire, exposing how some of the traits of so-called strong or charismatic leaders could easily turn ugly, leading to damaging, dangerous, sometimes even illegal behaviour. Today, our highly complex and volatile world, so the logic goes, demands a more compassionate and more collective approach to leadership, an approach where leaders are able to be vulnerable, empathetic and human. The days of the rock star leader are well and truly over. But is this realistic? Turning to the political world for a moment, we've recently seen a resurgence of traditional populist strongmen leaders, and it is nearly always men. There's evidently something about the uncertainty of our world that drives many of us to look for more directive leadership, and, whatever your political leanings, something about these leaders that inspires fervent followership. So what if in the business world we were actually able to dispense with the concept of charisma as a critical leadership attribute? Or rather, do we need to shake up our concept of how charisma presents through different people? And what impact would this have on diversity at senior leadership level? To debate these questions, I spoke to two leadership experts, Randall Peterson, Professor of Organisational Behaviour and Academic Director of the Leadership Institute at London Business School, and Dr Doyen Atuologan, Director of the consultancy Delta Alpha Psi. I started by asking him to explain why we fell so head over heels in love with charismatic leaders in the first place. Doyen first. Charisma and charismatic leaders, I think, really speak to the heart of what many of us are looking for in in leaders. So charismatic leaders are excellent communicators and connect with followers on a deep emotional level. And so I think rather than, you know, the focus on structures and, and processes and, and the hows, that a charismatic leader speaks to the why. There's a grand, broad scale purpose and vision that we should all collectively get behind. Well, charisma is that kind of ever attractive thing. It has the possibility of being transformational. And so we are attracted to it because we are hoping for that move to that great place and that they will facilitate that and make it easy for us. Uh, We just have to follow along and do our bit and we'll get to this wonderful place. So it's clear why charismatic leaders can cast such a seductive spell, that possibility of transformation, of taking us to a better place if we'll only follow. It's something that can be immensely powerful and positive in an organisational context, but it also has a dark side, as Randall explains. So positive bits of charisma will have to do with motivation, inspiration, feeling like we can really connect with that person and with the vision and where we're going. They do move people to actually do stuff, which um, you know sometimes that's actually the problem is that we, you know, the people aren't 
motivated to get off the chair and actually do something. Charismatic leaders have that ability to inspire people to get off their chair and do it. So that's I think that's a positive side of it. The negative side of it is, is of course, it can be like any great power can be used for negative. So you know, charismatic leaders have been some of the most evil and despotic people on the planet. If you look at politics over the you know over the twentieth century, so you know the content of it is really important. So they may have charismatic capabilities, but do they have any ethical core or center whatsoever? Or is it just uh, motivating people to do what well, what they want and, and what's good for them and people like them as opposed to the broader public or the rest of us, or certainly people who are on minority communities who may be on the receiving end of some of the worst part of charismatic leadership? Uh, there are moments in which charisma as we talked about more generally, has can have a really positive impact, again, motivating people to do things that are not easy or obvious. And uh, organizations can be transformed in a positive way. Um, of course, like every story, there is also a negative side to it. And there are examples of charismatic leaders who have essentially ruined organizations or, you know, if you want to be specific, somebody like Kalanak at Uber, that charisma both built a great organization and then ultimately ends up damaging it because kind of culture of go out and get it, go after the mainstream taxi companies becomes go out, be aggressive, win at any cost. And that means, you know, I treat my colleagues down the hallway badly. And that culture becomes toxic, actually. So, you know, it, it, even in the same person, in the same organization, depending upon the circumstance, can be both wonderful and horrible. The very darkest manifestation of charisma can be found within the dynamics of cults. Take famous cult leader Jim Jones, who led his followers into a mass murder-suicide by drinking poisoned soft drinks. But can Jones really have been that charismatic and persuasive? Or is there something about us as followers, something innate to us as humans, that makes us so keen to drink the Kool-Aid proffered by these charismatic leaders? And what is it about highly charismatic people, not all of whom are murderers, we hasten to add, that sees them elevated so often into senior leadership positions? When we think of the relationship between narcissism and, and leadership, and one of the interesting pieces is narcissism is associated with the emergence of leadership, but not the effectiveness of leadership when we look at organizations. So there is something around spotting and noting and possibly wanting to be drawn into someone who demonstrates this kind of, you know, moral conviction and potentially kind of self-conviction, you know, as a hero is drawn towards their own self-actualization, their own social standing in, in the world and, and is self-absorbed, but speaks in such a compelling way with that effective, really powerful sense of conviction that influences us and speaks to our heart. So the research indicates that at the start of the followership journey, that can actually be a strong, a compelling reason to be drawn towards an individual such as that. And then when we think about the extent to which we want to 
actualize or implement or execute or stay the course in order to meet a given set of outcomes, the relationship between narcissism and leadership effectiveness becomes much, much weaker. It falls away. So there is a clear connection between being a charismatic leader, believing you can have that power and actually getting there. So what the research shows is that if you look at a broader population and you look within that at, say, a CEO or senior leader group, they're really high on things like dominance. I like to tell other people what to do. And I'm com- not only am I comfortable with it, I kind of enjoy it and I like the power of it. And, you know, for a lot of people, they're like, oh, my God, oh, my God, that's it's it. You have to have that in order to be in those big leadership roles. Otherwise, you're not comfortable being in them. And so it's a must have. However, if you look within the population of CEOs and very senior leaders, the most successful ones, the ones that actually manage the actual change that sticks, that get great outcomes, they're the lowest within that group. So you have to be just dominant enough to get yourself noticed, but not so dominant that you turn into a bulldozer and destroy people around you. What, then, is the link between the dominance that gets you noticed and a persistent lack of diversity within senior leadership? In the UK FTSE 100, just eight CEOs are women, and only 3.4% of the chair, CFO and CEO positions are held by people from ethnic minority backgrounds. Evidently, there remains something deeply embedded in our culture that means our image of a leader remains white and male. Doyen explains why this homogeneity persists. We know from the research that, generally speaking, people who belong to underrepresented groups are less likely to be seen and received as leaders. So, for example, broadly speaking, a white man is much more likely to be listened to, to be tuned into, much more likely to be followed, is much more likely to wield influence and for that influence to have an impact. So if we see that as a cycle, as an iteration, you know, essentially you tell people what to do, they accept what you say, they do what you've said, Therefore, you're more reassured in your right to tell people what to do again, and then they obey you and it just kind of keeps reinforcing the sense that you are deemed worthy of a followership from others. In contrast, people who belong to underrepresented groups are much more likely, you know, who don't fit like the leadership prototype, are much less likely to, one, find role models who who look like them. Um, Some research indicates that charisma is valued differently in different cultures. It's probably more preferred or more aligned with leadership in more Western cultures. We know, for example, that in the Middle East, from the research, that charisma isn't as highly rated as a as a key leadership attribute. I, I think in addition to the fact that there are regional differences in in what we kind of attune to, what we value when we're thinking about what we're expecting leaders, I think in addition to that, there will certainly be cultural differences in the extent to which one shows up as charismatic. So in some cultures, even within the UK, for example, it is considered poor taste to put yourself forward, to project yourself as all-knowing, to convince others that your way is the way to go. And so when we come from communities where 
even if we are based, even if we kind of live and, and, and grow up in Western cultures, but if we come from communities where that is somewhat countercultural or you know, a little off in terms of what we value within our upbringing, then we're much less likely to kind of step into that and feel that that is authentic. So how can organisations tackle this bias against those from underrepresented groups and from backgrounds where it isn't the cultural norm to put yourself forward as someone others should follow? One of the ways in which we can respond to that is to be really clear about what leadership effectiveness looks like, you know, how we assess it, how we define it, rather than getting overly carried away by how someone carries themselves or how someone broadly displays conviction or inspires you. So I think absolutely it is really important when we think about charisma, we, we do know that some sort of alignment and some sort of, you know, speak into my heart that people talk about, you know, when they talk about Martin Luther King, when they talk about Nelson Mandela, when they talk about Malcolm X, when they talk about even Che Guevara, potentially, you know, maybe some of the more problematic leaders in, in time, possibly Napoleon, possibly Adolf Hitler. There is something about the power of that conviction. When we think about organizational leaders and wanting to make sure that we are selecting leaders who will be more than that hype, I think it's important for us to ask ourselves, what are the criteria? What are the competencies? What are we looking for? How do we measure it beyond this person makes me feel good about myself and the future? Feeling good or confident about the future has, of course, been a challenge over the past couple of years, thanks to the impact of the pandemic. With leaders forced into making incredibly tough decisions fast, with little or no data or previous experience to draw on, in a situation with millions of lives and livelihoods on the line, has it changed what we want from leaders? And will this change, for good or ill, stick? Randall first, then Doyen. In the pandemic, some things did really change teaching for 30 years before this and over the course of the pandemic what became more and more and more clear is that the types of leaders who are successful and emerging are those who are rather higher on their ability to connect with other people uh, what i would call agreeableness you know go along to get along where you can and if you think about the the you know, the places where leadership was particularly successful at the political level, places like New Zealand, Jacinda Ardern, the leadership that she showed was one where, you know, it was a we all need to work together type of approach. So, again, it's like understanding the power of the group, but at the same time, being able to lead forward when you can and when you need to. Everyone acknowledges that we have been through, you know, kind of crisis and we're all kind of collectively going through post-trauma in different ways. So in moments of crises, in moments of deep uncertainty, it is natural to to be drawn towards individuals who seem to know what's going on, you know, who have that kind of sense of, of certainty and conviction and clarity with regards to what route to take. 
And so I think it is likely that in the pandemic, a number of leaders or individuals have emerged as leaders because whether in actuality or not, they've given the impression they knew what the answer was and they knew what direction to take. At the same time, I think one of the other things, particularly in the workplace that has emerged in certainly many of the conversations with organizations I've been having, is an awareness of of vulnerability, an awareness of um, well-being, a great sensitivity to the uh, humanity, to our shared humanity, and the need for us to be more gentle with each other in some ways because, again, of all of of this collective kind of trauma and, and disruption that we've experienced. So it is probable that in the earlier days of the pandemic that a lot of us, that there are many examples of us looking to a, a charismatic stroke narcissistic leader who was convinced of, of you know, where where we need to get to. But more recently in these uh, days when COVID is becoming more endemic and we're starting to find a way of, of living with it, that more compassionate, more team-based, more um, collective approaches to leadership are becoming uh, more valuable and probably more impactful with regards to how we work with each other in organisations. But what about that point I made at the start of this episode, the resurgence of strongman political leadership? I asked Randall what links he sees between that and future leadership models in business. One of the things that we know is that when people feel threatened, they will choose leader strength over leader competence, okay? That leader strength, which is this charismatic thing, really. The problem with that is, is it turns into what we're seeing across the world right now, right? It's, it's not just a, you know, an anglophone problem of leaders who are, who are, who are over-focused on uh, strength and, and reassurance rather than openness and kind of what we traditionally think of as democratic norms. It's happening all over the world because people feel threatened by first the Great Recession, then the pandemic. Now we've got runaway inflation. Those are global phenomena, not really to any one environment right now. And when people feel threatened, they will choose strength. Um, So I always I'm saying in my classrooms these days, my great hope for the world for us to not go down the same road that we went down. Um, in the 1920s into the 30s as things got rough and we ended up in, well, we all know, uh, World War II and we're on a similar path. My hope is that these days businesses are much more powerful. They're much more global. They're much more part of our life. I really hope that because business leaders have the opportunity here to help us all calm down. Business leaders then have an opportunity to occupy an even bigger, more important and more purposeful space to create a more responsible, positive and inclusive environment for all of us. But can they really do that if lacking in charisma? To close, I asked both Randall and Doyen to reflect upon our central question. What if we fell out of love with charismatic leaders once and for all? And is that ever likely to actually happen? First of all, I think it's probably unlikely that will ever happen because this is something deeply embedded in us in the sense that as a species, we have succeeded in literally changing the world in every way, shape or form, some for good, some for not good, because we collaborate. Collaborate implies leadership, which implies a degree of, you know, charisma probably played a role. 
So I don't think it's reasonable to expect that we would ever fully fall out of love with charismatic leadership, nor do I think it's a good thing. So I do think that, you know, that it's a kind of necessary condition for leadership um, to really have the impact we'd like it to have. However, I think the real question is in service of what? And that comes back to this, to an ethical view of leadership. You know, is leadership about doing what's right for the group or is it about whatever, you know, whatever I need to do to get stuff done? And if it's what's right for the group, then it's a great thing and we certainly should never lose it. If it's just do what I want to do, you know, whatever it takes to get the job done, then I think it's a dangerous thing. And that's a reason to ask the question. I think such an important part of the human experience, particularly in organizations, is the where are we going? Where do we go? Who can get us there? I think it would be really difficult, unusual for us to live in a world where individuals don't emerge as people who have a sense of moral conviction, have a sense of kind of passion, commitment um, to a particular goal. I think because charismatic leaders speak to the heart and we are often in search of purpose and meaning, it is difficult for me to envisage a time that we fall out of love with charismatic leaders. You have been listening to the What If podcast, brought to you by the CIPD's Work Magazine. To find out more about how the CIPD is dedicated to better work and working lives, visit cipd.co.uk. And don't forget to check out the rest of the What If series from your podcast provider or the peoplemanagement.co.uk website. Thank you.